Podcastle, episode 136, for December 21st, 2010, The Christmas Mummy, by Heather Shaw and Tim Pratt, rated G. Hello and welcome to Podcastle. I'm your host and co-editor Dave Thompson, and I've got a question for all you hardcore Podcastle fans. How many of you want to get a Christmas card from Heather Shaw and Tim Pratt? Because that, my friends, is exactly what we have for you this week. Heather and Tim wrote today's story, The Christmas Mummy is a Holiday Gift, and sent out chapbooks of it to their friends and family in 2006, with an illustration by some Dutch artist dude named Greg Van Eekout. And now, they're sharing that story with all of you. I have to admit, I didn't think we were going to have a Christmas story this year. I mean, to be fair, we talked about it. We thought about throwing Corinthians here today, making a lot of you happy, and I suggested it'd be the equivalent of going out to Chinese on December 25th, and I do love a good orange chicken. But we also had a really melancholy French story set during the winter, and we thought that might be a nice treat. But then we got an email from Heather Shaw and Tim Pratt with this little gem of a holiday tale that, among other things, contains Christmas ninja elves. And really, who could say no to Christmas ninja elves? Not to mention a Christmas mummy. So apologies to the melancholy French story. That'll have to wait till next week. So for the first time ever, podcast will be bringing you a story for Christmas. Happy holidays, folks. Podcastle is proud to present The Christmas Mummy by Heather Shaw and Tim Pratt. Heather Shaw is a writer, editor, and gardener living in Berkeley, California with her husband and son. She's had fiction and Strange Horizons, Polyphony, The Year's Best Fantasy, Escape Pod, and other nice places. She just finished her middle grade novel, Keaton T., Junior Gene Hacker, and is looking for representation. Tim Pratt's married to Heather Shaw and writes stories. If you listen to Podcastle, you might have heard from him before. His latest serialized novel is The Next, and we'll link to that in our show notes. The story will be narrated this week by Rish Outfield, one of the hosts of the Doonstief Audio Fiction magazine. Each week, Rish and his co-host Big Anklevich produce sci-fi, fantasy, or horror stories and multicast audio. Then, they follow up each story with scintillating conversation about the story, films, comics, TV, books, and whatever else they're moved to spew forth. They leave the conversation for last, so if you don't find it quite as engaging as they do, you can skip on to the next show. You can find them at www.doonsteve.com. So gather around the Christmas tree, get ready to unwrap your very own mummy, and enjoy the story. The Christmas Mummy by Heather Shaw and Tim Pratt Nate shook Trisha wake, and she rolled over to squint at her brother, who was illuminated only by the babyish nightlight he couldn't sleep without. Is it morning already? she asked. The window was still dark, and her parents had sworn they wouldn't open any presents before first light, never mind Trisha's well-reasoned argument that it was technically Christmas as soon as the clock struck midnight. No, but I hear Santa, Nate said. At age eight, two years older than her brother, Trish was beginning to have her doubts about Santa, but hope sprang eternal, so she got out of bed, though she grumbled that it was probably just Uncle Ray arriving late for the holidays as usual. 
That was her dad's grumble, really. Trish loved her uncle, who brought wonderful presents, scary masks, weird statues, musical instruments she'd never even heard of from his travels around the world. Trish led Nate from the room, into the hall, their parents' door was closed, and onto the stairs. She could hear someone moving down there. Trish crept down the carpeted steps. The only light in the living room came from the bright Christmas tree. Even the Yule log in the fireplace had burned down. Two men, dressed in black pajamas with their faces covered, were tying a big red ribbon around a crate that was bigger than the couch. Ninjas? Trish whispered to her brother. Christmas ninjas, Nate said. One of the ninjas pulled up his mask a little and ate one of the cookies they'd left for Santa. He drank the milk, too, leaving a white mustache on his ninja mask when he pulled it back down over his mouth. Trish went to the bottom of the stairs. Hey, she said. The ninjas froze. You're just having a dream, the one with the milk mustache said. Trish reached over and pinched Nate, who yelped. No, we're not, she said. Right, you caught us. We're elves, the other ninja said. Trish crossed her arms. You look like ninjas. They're ninja elves, Nate said like she was an idiot. Exactly, said the one with the mustache. Now go to sleep or Santa will be, you know, upset. You don't want to see him when he gets upset. The ninjas raced to the fireplace almost quicker than Trish's eyes could follow, then scurried up the chimney and out of sight. Trish went over to the wooden crate, so big it came almost to her chin, and so long it barely fit in the room, crowding the other presents out of the way. Who's it for? Nate said. Is it for me? It says, for the Patchett family. Doesn't say who it's from. From Santa, obviously. Nate yawned. I'm going back to sleep, so it'll be morning sooner. Trish could see the sense in that. At 6 a.m. sharp, Nate and Trish woke their parents. The ninja elves seemed almost a dream, but when the four of them stood in the living room, the huge box was still there, tied with a big red bow. See, Mom, I told you Santa's ninja elves left that last night. They ate the cookies and everything, Nate said. I need coffee before I can process this. Their father turned toward the kitchen. Right, their mother said. I'll call Uncle Ray. I'll bet he's behind this, and he should be here by now anyway. Trish groaned. They couldn't open presents unless the whole family was here. Uncle Ray arrived an hour later, laden down with oddly shaped gifts, wrapped in newspapers printed in foreign languages, and tied with twine as usual. He stood in front of the giant box and shook his head. No, it's not from me. Ninjas brought it, you say? Ninja elves, Nate corrected. Uncle Ray nodded. It must be from my nemesis, that blackguard Hitler Moriarty. You should leave the room while I open it, in case it's booby-trapped. Did you say Hitler Moriarty? Mom asked. Well, that's what we call him, in the treasure-hunting, antiquity-acquiring business, their uncle admitted. No one knows his real name. The kids watched from the hallway as he untied the bow and pried open the lid with a crowbar. Gold glinted within. Is it treasure? Nate asked. No, Trish said. Why would Uncle Ray's enemy send him treasure? Maybe it's cursed treasure. Good point, Trish said. It's not treasure, their uncle called. It's a sarcophagus. A what? Dad asked. Like a big coffin, Trish said. 
for mummies. My class saw one at the field museum on our last field trip. I know what a sarcophagus is, Dad said. Then why did you ask, Trish said. The lid of the sarcophagus creaked open. A smell like Mom's awful Christmas potpourri emerged, along with horrible moaning. Bandaged fingers gripped the edge of the coffin, and a child-sized mummy sat up. It's a mummy, Mom yelled. Cool, Nate shouted. It's not cool, Uncle Ray backed almost into the kitchen. It's an assassin. Uncle Ray, Trish said, why would Moriarty send ninjas to deliver a mummy to kill you? Why not just have the ninjas kill you? Besides, it was addressed to the whole family, so he must be for all of us. Killing me with ninjas would be too easy, Ray insisted. A mummy is just his style, and so is killing my whole family. I told you, he's a villain. The mummy climbed out of the sarcophagus, tattered cloth bindings hanging from his arms. He bent down and started petting their cat, Mr. Paws, who had been sleeping under the tree on top of some presents. Mr. Paws, who was actually a girl, purred contentedly. Why are you all scared? Nate said. It's a Christmas mummy. It's a fiendish thing from beyond the grave. Uncle Ray chewed on his mustache. Oh, there's not enough coffee in the world, Dad grumbled. It's just like the magic snowman in that cartoon, Nate said. Or like that movie where the kid finds a flying reindeer in the woods. Or, or the one about the abdominal snow monster that everybody throws rocks at, but he's really nice. Nate went into the living room to pet Mr. Paws. The mummy cocked his bandaged head at Nate, then turned his attention back to the cat. You're not here to kill us, are you? Nate asked the mummy. The mummy said something, but it wasn't English. See, Nate said, he's here to teach us the true meaning of Christmas. What did that mummy say? Mom asked. My ancient Egyptian is rusty, but I think he said the afterlife is not what he expected, Ray said. And that he likes cats. Ah, I'm going to Irish up this coffee, Dad said, and disappeared into the kitchen. Ray, you're my brother, and I love you, but... Mom began... Trish shook her head. Her mom always said that during the holidays. I'll get to the bottom of this, Ray said. I'll track Moriarty down. He must be behind this. What do we do with the mummy? Trish said. Ah, Uncle Ray said. Let it do whatever it wants. Mummies can be dangerous, with the curses and so on. Merry Christmas, Mom muttered. He thinks he's in the afterlife, and you're his slaves. So just do his bidding, and you'll be fine. Ray put on his coat and scarf and battered old hat. But we can't understand what it wants, Trish said. He wants to open presents with us, Nate said, sitting beside the mummy. Mr. Paws was batting at the loose bandages dangling from the mummy's wrists. Fine then, Ray said. I'll be back soon. Kids, don't touch that mummy. You might catch something, Mom said. But her heart wasn't in it. She never could get really mad until she'd had at least two cups of coffee anyway. So you were just a kid when you got mummified, Trish said. I'm sorry. The mummy moaned, but didn't sound particularly distressed. He picked up a bright package and shook it beside his ear. That's mine! Nate snatched the present away, handing the mummy a different one. Open this instead! Before Trish could object, the mummy tore open the paper, revealing a doll wearing an elaborate ball gown. The mummy made an interrogative sound, and Nate said, it's just girl stuff. The mummy offered the doll to Trish, who managed to say thank you. 
Mom and Dad came in, not quite arguing, but not full of Christmas cheer. Dad said, This is worse than the time he gave us that antique treasure map, and all those conquistadors showed up here looking for the lost city of opium. Mom said, You can't blame Ray for this. Somebody else sent the mummy. Whatever, Dad said. Trish, start handing out the presents. Let the mummy open all your uncle's gifts. It's only fair. Everyone got something they really wanted. Nate's favorite was a handheld cannon that shot foam rubber balls, which filled Trish with a nameless dread. And Trish was happiest with a book of 101 Magic Tricks You Can Do, which she began reading right away. The mummy enjoyed the various novelty neckties they'd gotten for Uncle Ray. He wore them when teaching archaeology classes at the university and put several of them around his neck at once, including the one that lit up, which Trish had picked out. There was a knock at the door. Nate raced to answer it, just like he always rushed to answer the phone now, which annoyed Trish, because that used to be her job. The door opened to reveal a hunched, bald man, dressed in an old-fashioned black coat, holding a cane topped with a silver bird's head. Hello, Patchett family, he intoned. I am Dr. Attila von Lecter. He paused, then frowned when they just stared. Perhaps you know me as... Dr. Iago Dracula. Still no reply. He tapped his cane impatiently. Dr. Hitler Moriarty? Trish suggested. He squinted at her. Oh, of course, that one. Yes, tremble, Patchett family, and await your doom as I speak the sacred words of resurrection and wake this mummy to... This mummy? Trish pointed. Moriarty hobbled into the room and stared at the mummy, who was playing with one of Nate's toy fire engines. Oh, cranberries, Moriarty said. Mom said, Ray is out looking for you. I'm sure he'll be back soon. Can I take your coat, Mr. Moriarty? Dr. Moriarty, he grumbled. But he gave up his coat, hobbled into the living room, and perched on the couch. I wonder what woke it up, Moriarty said. Usually the ravenous dead don't awake without my help. Nate looked up, grinning. Christmas spirit woke him up. The mummy nodded, though Trish was pretty sure it didn't understand what he'd said. He's here to teach us the true meaning of Christmas, Nate said. Aren't you? The true meaning of Christmas, Moriarty said. You mean the Christian appropriation of a pagan solstice festival of life, death, and rebirth? Nate stared at him. No, he said. I mean being nice and loving each other and presents and candy canes and stuff. Bah! Dr. Moriarty shook his head. I knew a child mummy was a mistake. They're never vicious enough. But it was all they had in stock so close to the holidays. He looked very glum. Mom handed him a glass, and he sniffed it suspiciously. Eggnog, she explained, handing the kids their glasses. He made a face. I hate to be a bother, but do you have anything stronger? One Irish coffee coming up, Dad said. Mostly Irish. He went back to the kitchen with his own empty cup. So, Dr. Moriarty, Mom asked, if you don't mind me asking, why are you trying to, uh, doom us? Your brother Ray has plagued me for years. He infiltrated my organization, stole secrets beyond his understanding, and used those ill-gotten gains to... He grimaced, and his voice grew thick with distaste. To get tenure. 
he's stolen the fame that rightly belongs to me. Oh, thank you, he said, accepting the Irish coffee from Dad, who nodded and raised his glass in salute. Where, where was I? Moriarty said, staring at the mummy who was playing Nate's new video game. You were telling us how Uncle Ray is smarter than you and it drives you crazy, Trish said, admiring the new necklace Uncle Ray had given her in the mirror. What is that you're wearing? Dr. Moriarty cried. Trish held up the jade necklace. Uncle Ray got it for me. This is my point. Dr. Moriarty stood up shakily. He gives a girl of seven the jade necklace of Sumaria. I'm eight, Trish said. Uncle Ray stormed through the front door, dragging a struggling ninja by the neck. Trish could tell it was the one from the night before, because he still had a faded white milk mustache on his mask. That miscreant Moriarty eludes me, but I found one of his associates, and with a little persuasion... He's right here, Trish pointed. And shut the door. You're letting the cold in. Oh. Ray kicked the door shut behind him without looking. It was a nice move, and Nate clapped. After a moment, the mummy did too. Dr. Moriarty put down the coffee cup with as much dignity as he could muster. Ray Caruso. That's Dr. Raymond Anthony Caruso to you, Hitler. Dr. Moriarty winced. I really wish you'd use one of the other names, he said. I was very drunk when I came up with that one. Ray hurled the ninja at Dr. Moriarty, and the two crashed together and collapsed in a tangle of limbs. Hey, he's an old man, Dad said. Don't shove him. What if he breaks a hip or something? Don't worry about him, Ray said. He drank the elixir of life, stolen from the hands of the princess he doomed to a lingering death. And now he will suffer the same fate. You are not killing somebody in my living room on Christmas, Mom said. Especially not lingeringly. This is a day of giving and forgiveness. Don't fight, Nate yelled, putting his hands over his ears and squinching up his eyes. He started it. Dr. Moriarty pushed the ninja off him and sat up. Soon everyone was yelling, even Dad and the ninja, and the mummy was moaning and Nate was throwing a tantrum. Trish sighed and picked up the book of magic tricks. The necklace she was wearing began to tingle, and she glanced into the mirror to see a strange green light emanating from the jewelry. The book twisted and wriggled in her hand, and when she looked down, it was different, older, bigger, dustier, with the title written in gold leaf instead of black ink. The book glowed with the same green luminescence as the necklace. She opened to the table of contents, saw something promising, flipped to the appropriate page, and began to chant aloud. After a moment, everyone stopped yelling, except the mummy, and stared at her. Trish noticed that she was levitating a little, just a couple of inches, but she kept chanting. The mummy's moans turned into words in English. You're worse than the bickering priests. What is this nest of adders? I thought this was a feast day. The afterlife is so noisy. It speaks English, Ray said. I found a spell in here. Trish was no longer glowing or levitating. The gift of tongue, see? How? Ray said, dumbstruck. The necklace, Moriarty said. It's an alchemist's tool for changing base things to their perfected forms, which you would know if you spent more time studying and less time infiltrating shadowy cabals of treasure seekers. Your words make sense now, but the sentences do not, the mummy complained. Honey, Ray said, Uncle Ray's going to need that necklace back. Nope, Trish said. Not until you all learn the true meaning of Christmas. 
Moriarty sighed. I told you, it's the Christian appropriation of the other true meaning of Christmas, Trish said. The one Nate was talking about. She went to the mummy. Do you like being a mummy? She said. I can curse people, he said. But otherwise, no, it isn't much fun. These bandages are itchy. Okay, then, Trish said. The necklace began to glow again, and she opened the magic book, finding another spell. Once more, she levitated. Trish, darling, her uncle said, but Moriarty shushed him. She seems a sensible girl, he said. It must not run in the family. Leave her be. The mummy began to glow green, and Trish reached out to unwrap his bandages. I want to open the present, too, Nate yelled, and began tugging off the bandages and tossing them on the floor, where the cat rolled among the strips of cloth in rapturous joy. Their unwrapping revealed a little boy, dark of hair and eye, dressed only in a loincloth. He held up his hands in wonderment. I am restored to life, he shouted. He threw his arms around Trish and hugged her as she stopped levitating and sank to the floor. You can come live with me, Dr. Moriarty said, and tell me all about your civilization. No, you can come with me, Ray said, and eat all the ice cream and cake you want. And then you can tell me all about your civilization. Ninja, seize the boy, Moriarty shouted. But at some point, the ninja had vanished, probably back up the chimney. Or possibly to the bathroom. Moriarty slumped, but then began yelling at Ray, who yelled back. Quiet, Trish shouted, or I'll use this magical necklace to turn you into a responsible adult with a normal job, Uncle Ray. And I'll use it to make you stop using such stupid names and quit hiring ninjas, Dr. Moriarty. The two men of science and intrigue looked at one another, then at Trish. What do you want, dear? Dr. Moriarty said. You both know a lot about mummies and stuff, Trish said. Why don't you talk to the mummy, I, I mean this little boy, together, instead of fighting all the time? She scowled. I mean, it's Christmas. Don't make me hurt somebody. Moriarty tapped his cane. Your uncle's name is well known, so his involvement might open certain doors that are usually closed to me, barring lockpicks or explosives. And you do have a lot of forbidden knowledge in that bald head of yours, Ray said. Now shake hands, Trish said, or I'll try this spell about turning people into apples. She squinted. Wait, I mean asps. Whatever those are. Is there a spell for making Daddy's headache go away? Her dad asked hopefully. Moriarty and Uncle Ray shook hands, though neither looked happy about it. There, Trish thought. Peace on Earth. Or at least peace in the living room. For one day. But one day was a start. I was promised cake, the mummy said. And Nate began to clap his hands and shout, Cake! 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 Mom stood up. I can manage cold pound cake with whipped cream. They all went to the dining room. Dad brought in folding chairs. They sat down and everyone joined hands and said grace together, though Dr. Moriarty prayed to something called the Strong Anthropic Principle. The former mummy invoked the names of a number of Egyptian deities, and Nate sincerely thanked the ninja elves for their bounty. They ate the cake in silence. Then the former mummy said, This is a very strange and delicious afterlife. Hear, hear, Dr. Moriarty replied. Ra bless us, everyone. Trish said, and everyone laughed. 
except for the mummy, and Nate, who just looked confused, and the ninja, who must have sneaked back in at some point and now sat in the corner eating cake. But ninjas hardly ever laughed at anything, no matter how funny it was. So that was all right. And welcome back. Regardless of what you're celebrating this year, be it Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, or Hogswatch, I think being nice and loving each other, having presents and candy canes and stuff, is something we can all agree on is worth celebrating. Christmas really is an interesting time of year, and although a lot of us feel like it's constantly on the verge of being spoiled by commercialization, I'm thankful that it's the time of year I get to spend with my family and friends. Ah, the joy of the Podcastle time shift. Right now I'm sitting on a couch recording this outro in late November with an eggnog latte in my warm Southern California home. But on Christmas Day, I'm actually driving back from a vacation with my family and in-laws. It's cool, guys. This is Podcastle, not Pseudopod. And they really are the best in-laws in the world. Especially when it's Christmas Day and I've been driving back from Utah with them for hours and there's a Starbucks in the distance and mom and dad suggest we pull over and treat their favorite son-in-law to an eggnog latte. Mmm, see? Grass commercialism isn't always that bad. It is, in fact, a beautiful thing. Right, mom and dad? Seriously, though, if by some chance I manage to get control of the iPod and get them to listen to this story, well... Thanks for putting up with me, guys. I love you. You guys make me proud. And mom and dad, you guys are all right, too. I wouldn't be making that drive with people I don't love, you know. Okay, enough of me getting all mushy on you. Let's talk about feedback for Ian McHugh's Song Dogs, read by Amanda Fitzwater. A story about a sorceress sheriff and the outlaw she was hunting in the Australian outback. And in short, it seemed that you all really dug this one. When Blinking said the characters were great, the setting was great, the story was great. An Australian weird western with mutated beasties. I thought the description of the song dogs was very well done. It was given enough distinctive features. The serrated beak, black and white feathers, scorpion tail. To put together a reasonably good picture of them. But never quite enough details that they took on an entirely solid form. Instead, their shapes seemed to twist in the grasp of my mind, which was a pretty cool effect. Birdless said, wow, even though there was nothing necessarily groundbreaking here, it was masterfully written. Compelling story, intricately woven world building, well-defined and likable characters, and good dialogue. I hated to hear this one end. I definitely wanted more. Love this guy's style and will be checking out more of his stuff. Scattercat wanted to know, how come stories set in Australia are always so much more awesome than non-Australian stories? Is it some kind of secret kangaroo technology? Good question, Scattercat. I'd tell you, but you're not from Australia. Anyway, thanks to everyone for those comments, and feel free to tell us what you thought of this week's story at forum.escapeartist.net. We'd love to hear from you. It's the holidays, we know, and if you're looking for anyone else to give to, might I suggest your friendly neighborhood castle in the sky? Your donations really are the gifts that keep on giving. You give money to us, we give money to our authors for their stories, and then we give those stories to everyone we can for free. It really is the best kind of Christmas exchange, so if you want to make a donation, follow the chimney shoot to podcastle.org. 
Every single cent's greatly appreciated. If you want to pick up a little something for yourself, head over to see Jonathan and Allison Chaffin at poddisc.com. We'd love to wrap up some t-shirts, archive discs, maybe even a mummy for you and your friends. Thanks. That's all for this week. Thanks so much for letting all of us here at Podcastle share another story with you. It's been a blast. Team Podcastle's made up of Professor of Arthurian Studies, Anne Leckie, Sound Adventurist, Peter Wood, and your Christmas Elf Ninjas, Anna Schwind, and myself, Dave Thompson. We'll be back next time with that depressing French story I mentioned. Until then, peace on Earth, at least in the living room, or maybe even the minivan. Oh, and... Merry Christmas, baby! Be sure and treat me right! I mean, um... Happy Hogswatch to all, and to all a good night. Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. You can discuss this episode of Podcastle or nearly anything else on our forums. Just visit forum.escapeartist.info. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend or post to your blog about it or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site. Bill McKibben said, There's no ideal Christmas. Only the one Christmas you decide to make is a reflection of your values, desires, affections, traditions.